Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking 300 bushel corn. In our spotlight, we'll look at the rural internet infrastructure. Egg History Minute, we'll talk a little bit about Christmas trees with the holidays being here. And we'll wrap it all up with some cool beans that's corny with some current events. With me today are Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. The king in the north! The king in the north! With their squeaked by win of the against the Baltimore Ravens and Detroit's hammering of the Cardinals. The Packers are the kings in the north. They've won the NFC North and have a good shot at the top of the NFC. So I'm loving it. I mean, can't can't go wrong. A couple days before Christmas here, we're number, you know, first in our division. That's over. Can't lose that now. So pa- the Packers been so good so long that you forget how important those little like yep. divisional wins are. Yep. You just yeah, expect gotta, to win it every year. Ca- right. Is it the Packers have been so good or everybody else has been so bad? They're pretty bad too. A little, little of both. <laughs> I mean Detroit in general has just been Bad. But the Lions beat the Cardinals, which right. put us in first. Which Wheels is are falling kind of off. Weird. Yes. That's... Wheels are falling off in Arizona. Oh. It, yeah. Who? I'm trying to make my prediction. <laughs> yeah. right You're a little, it was a little late, but it was it's still. It's they true. haven't been great since they played the Packers, but now that was ugly. I mean, that was pretty terrible. Yeah. I mean, Detroit was at home. They've been with, literally without a win the entire season. So They're up to two now. Two and a. And a tie. They're not even like the bottom of the no. league anymore. Which they is will crazy. not. I think they're right. like third from bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which at that point you almost want to be the bottom so you get the best pick. But if they had the number one overall pick, they would have they, screwed, they'd it screwed up. up. So right. having the third overall pick, they it won't be as big a deal when they screw it up. <laughs> big Detroit momentum going on. Not enough. Not that they can do anything with it, but they could really. Uh, they could end up. We could be looking at a tough game at the end of the season if they, this is. Signs of things to come with Detroit. They so. could catch the Bears. They could, yeah. Which would be hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah. What do you guys think about the Browns on Christmas? I don't think it's going to be close. Well, there's no Baker Mayfield. I think oh, they already nope, he, nope. He's going to be. He's. Oh, is it? He had to pass one more test, and he should have time to do that. Okay. Today. Those commercials with him where they act like the stadium's his house are awesome. Those are, like, <laughs> the best. Like, he's the Peyton Manning of Imagine if he was a good quarterback, how good they'd be. Yeah, True. They're, but they're better now. The first ones were kind of true. Lame, they were a little weird, but, but yeah. yeah, the Halloween one was the best. Where you put nacho cheese, yeah, like, like just in like Halloween. pumping it into yeah. their bags. Yeah, I'm looking up Baker Mayfield, but I think they said, um, and maybe that was from yeah. last week. I saw he was out, but maybe that was could, he can he could test out of COVID protocols to be available for Saturday in Green Bay. So I think he has. To has he test, had a negative test? He yet? had one. I think he has to test today. Oh, okay. So yeah, then there's. Strong possibility then that he could play. A lot of NFL players with the with the vid right now. Yeah, so. it's, he well, they had two rescheduled games this last week. I don't think he has to test negative. He had because he was positive. It's just his ten days from his positive test until he can play again, according to this. Okay, so, so he will play. So he found out he was positive last Wednesday, so he would be available for Saturday. Saturday. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I, it, it's confusing with the NFL's protocols. Well, and they've and kind they, of they changed them this yeah, week. Yeah, they've been yeah moving them around and 
It all depends if you're vaccinated, not vaccinated, what, what, what not. What's cool, though, and what I think is nice or convenient for us, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to get tested again this year, no matter what. He's done being tested because he tested positive once. Kenny Clark does not get tested again this year because he tested positive. I'll take number one on offense and number one on defense. Even uh, the linebacker guy, he didn't he Devontae test, Campbell tested test positive, positive, so you don't have to test good. Did Devontae test positive? I say De- Devontae Actually, was in the protocol, protocols, but I don't remember uh, if he was That's positive. true, and even Campbell, I don't know that he tested positive. He's he just tested in the positive. Oh, did he? Okay. He tested positive, yep. Because did Veldez Scantling test positive? Or? Yes. Okay, so he'll be, after he gets done with this 10 days or whatever, he'll be good. Yeah. For the rest of the season. So that's what's nice is like, yeah, it was really inconvenient when Rodgers was positive, but but it it's was not going to be the playoffs. It was really inconvenient not having Kenny Clark last week. But guess what? He's good through the Super Bowl. We don't have to test. He doesn't even get tested anymore. Yeah. So which they, now they've actually said they're not testing asymptomatic players anymore. So, but still, it it's was, almost like every team should have just had a big thing after their last game before the bye week and like get everybody together and try to get everybody on COVID (laughs) over bye week. week. That was a big thought last year um, in the Big Ten uh, with winter sports as they talked about having New Year's parties. Speaking of Big Ten, did you see uh, they came out with rules now that a COVID forfeit is it. Like if you COVID forfeit, that's that's it. Yeah, so you can COVID forfeit out of the NCAA tournament and that team advances. Like there's Really? Like it's a real... Yep. It's not rescheduled. It's not. Nope, it's no rescheduling. It's you're done. I thought you were gonna say. Speaking of Big Ten, that I mean, the Badgers women's volleyball won the national championship. Oh, yep. that too. That was. But it was pretty cool. We were talking COVID. That yeah, really no, wasn't it, COVID just, related. So, but yeah, it it was cool. It, yes, I saw that. That was interesting. I think it's just a push to try and get everybody vaccinated. I think is what they're going for by bullying the teams into it basically which is whatever hey tommy thompson convened the council of mascots to encourage vaccination did you see that video tommy thompson the council of mascots (laughs) yep they had they're shooting up like bucky badger or what yep it was like bucky Uh, and uh the spartan and like all the the big 10 or no sorry there was it was the uw schools not the so they had all the, the UW schools. They had the Panther. They had the Miner. They had uh, um, the, yeah, Falcon. the Falcon. The Pointer. Freddie uh, Falcon. Which one, Which Wisconsin mascots? The cool. I mean, besides Bucky Badger, which one like would take the Pointer? Now is pretty cool. Yeah, he back when it was Stevie and Stephanie Pointer, and they looked like Blues Clues on steroids. That wasn't so much. Freddie Falcon was always the Falcon school. That's cool. Whitewater. No, no, that's River, River Falls. Falls. Whitewater's Warhawks. Okay, the Warhawks cool too, but they don't have a Warhawk. No, you're right. They're, they have yeah. like Freddie Falcon is a thing. The um, Eau Claire is the Blue Golds, which is a fiction or a uh, mythical bird. Yep. Oh. So I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, Bucky Badger probably wins out, but the Phoenix have a mascot, don't they? They have a Phoenix. Bucky's not very intimidating, though. No, he's more like what the pointer used to be like kind of goofy like so the friendly approachable is the pointer that intimidating now i i don't know if that's that much more intimidating but bucky badger is just the right amount of intimidating because he still looks like a badger which they look badgers always just look tough because they're just mean animals but yeah he's not like it's not like uh the guy in in philly what's his name yeah i mean he's still smiling i guess but it used to be like a comically large head on the pointer, so it was almost like, you know, kind of bobbling. 
the logo, like, like, like the pointer logo, is the, the logo is cool. Is a lot better than yeah. the mascot, but yeah, it's like the side of the dog, and then like the way he's facing. And he's like, like angry, angry, like, yeah, staring it's, you down. The colors are well done. Yeah, is it purple and yellow? Purple and gold, I think. Okay, would be the technical. Oh, I see the old. I see the old one here. Yeah, that's not intimidating. That looks like McGruff the Crime Dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no, it was not. Yeah. They had Stevie and Stephanie and, yeah, like the. All right. That's enough mascot talk for today. Got through, got through mascots. Anything <laughs> else we want to cover? Yeah, one more thing. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten. Well, it is, I mean, we're, we're recording here the day before Christmas Eve, and it is snowing outside while we're recording, so. Yeah. White Christmas doesn't look like it's going to happen, though. No, we may have a, a slight dusting, but nothing's, well, tomorrow's supposed to rain, though, isn't it? Yeah, brown, yeah. brown Christmas for us. Sad. Which I will take warm enough to rain and not, like, icy sleet for travel on Christmas. Yeah. Fair enough. I still don't like when we, like no, all the snow yeah. we had, and then it rained and melted, and, and then it was gone. Rained, yeah, it was a mess. I'll I'll fight this till the day I die. There, a white Christmas is better. There's oh, just way no better. like. I hear people say it doesn't make any difference. Christmas is Christmas. They're wrong. They're flat out wrong. Okay, snow makes it. Now I don't want a snowstorm on the day I have to travel, <laughs> but snow makes it. Yeah, the worst is when you get yeah, the nasty icy, like they're getting right now on the western side of Wisconsin. Yeah, so. So what was on your Christmas list this year, Todd? Bowling ball. A bowling ball. Ooh. Matt? You joining up our league again? <laughs> I don't know. Just have a really, really old bowling ball. And you wanted a new one. But I also didn't really look into what a bowling ball costs, so I might regret like like sure. I don't do not like I basically bowl once a year, so it's not really like yeah. Just the just a yeah, I don't. I couldn't even quote you a price on a bowling ball. No, I don't that's know what, what they I cost. I, like, I've like, never had my. I, the more own. I thought of this, I'm I always like, use them. That could cost way more than like, I think, and not really be that what I want. Like, like you like know, between when, all, like you can get one for forty bucks. Yeah, sixty. There's a that's Brunswick, probably not the. There's a Brunswick for sixty-five. I mean, everybody was around a Brunswick at one point in time. I would guess. I'll put it this way: too, sixty like, and two hundred. Yeah, that. See, that's what I thought, and then there's talking to a farmer he's like dude it's i think you're gonna be paying like 500 bucks like for a bowling ball he's like probably I'm like okay yeah well it depends everything like you, you just want a ball though you don't want like anything special on no like, it's, it's just gonna but it's gonna not be gonna size, say todd it's sized to my hand though, yeah like drilled well, i'm sure you're gonna like, have to pay a drilling fee and whatever well, yeah but what about you i don't even know where to buy a bowling ball either like obviously you go to bowling, bowling alley but yeah, not 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 seymour yeah not little i think they do it a pro shop Anywhere that's got a pro shop. Super Bowl in Appleton, I think. Used I, that's to do right, it. I thought. Yeah. yeah. That's the place. But I don't even know if they still the, do. The Wasaki Bowl with Dirty oh, Joe's yeah. Laundry and Susie's Pro Shop. Head up there and then. Head up there, Susie's Pro Shop. They'll hook you up. <laughs> tell Joe, tell Joe, Joe, Max Garvey sent you. He'll, he'll help you out. He'll give you a beer at full price. Matt, what was on your Christmas list this year? What was your. Uh, mine's pretty mundane. Yeah. It's. Socks and underwear. No, that I'm good on. <laughs> he got that covered on his birthday. Yeah. yeah. I wear him front, I wear him back. No. Uh, no I, I didn't have anything super fantastic. Mainly just stuff around the house. 
not even any real tools or anything this year that I really needed. Got that last year, so. Yeah. The older you get, the harder it gets to decide what you want, right? Well, I mean, the older you get, too, you just buy Buy stuff when you need it. Yeah, that's also true. Not waiting for Christmas, like, oh, this really hoping to, to get that for Christmas. Like, no, I need it, so I'm going to buy it right now. That's I realized that one day I was walking through a store, and I was like, I was looking at a tool, and I'm like, well, I'll just have to put it on my Christmas list. And I was like, wait a second. I'm working a job for, because I was in high school, and I was working a job 30 hours a week still, and I was like, hold on just a cotton-picking minute. I can buy whatever I want. That's why I'm going to work. And I bought it. It was like a $12 tool. It wasn't yeah. anything, but it was like, you know, when you're 12, you were like, oh. Gotta put that. Gotta put that. I feel on like the it's list. hard to like a tool or something so specific. If you put it on your like, it's so hard. Well, to... and there's things are so expensive too. Like, yeah, depending on what a person. What like, I want? don't expect anybody to spend an inordinate amount of money on me. So it's like you end up asking for gift cards to places where you know you're going to buy something half the time because it's like I know you don't want to spend two hundred bucks on this. Like, just give me a gift card but i'll take know. 25 bucks off when i right. spend 200 bucks yeah. yeah i'll take the discount yeah even gift cards are hard because it's it's so impersonable but yet it's but it works because right. then it covers to be honest like the best it, gift in the world is cash and there's no yeah. way around it the best gift yeah. in the world is cash nobody wants to say it but it's cash so i'm money talks yeah According to cleverbowling.com, Todd, <laughs> 150 to 250 is the range that you should pay. And that is how much does a bowling ball cost in 2021? So, Ooh, so inflation. So you got a week oh, okay. to get, get that price otherwise. Lock it in, prepay. All inputs bought before <clears throat> the growing season, Todd. All, all, all bowling tools all, bought all before the league start, starts. <laughs> yep, better, better make sure you uh, you're, get your right grip that you want and... Don't mess up your hand. No, it's actually a problem with my old ball. Is like it doesn't. Well, it's from high school, so it's just. And even then, it was a used ball from a buddy that was a really good bowler, but he was left-handed, so I don't even think it's weighted correctly. Sure, but the holes are resized for me at that time. But yeah, it's like I always wonder how much better of a bowler I could be if I had a custom ball that was like fit to my hand. And yeah, I think just the consistency alone of having. I will tell you soon. No, I I don't think it'll help my bowling at all. But it just. Yeah, but I'm a superior athlete, Todd. <laughs> yeah. I need the right tools to compete. I mean, Todd's Look just me. looking forward to getting rid of the bumpers. Yes. Yeah. So he can be a big and boy the, bowler. And the dinosaur tail slide <laughs> to drop it down. Yes. Yep. I don't know why you need size for your hand when you're using the dinosaur slide, but. Pro tip in a bowling league, sandbag the first couple of weeks. Don't oh, get your, oh, don't get your bo- handicap. Don't yeah. bowl your best games and then kind of go down. You think I have that much control over my bowling <laughs> score? Trust me, if I could control my bowling score, I'd be a lot better. better. I'm just throwing the ball and hoping things fall. <laughs> I knock down a pin. I win. Wait, you're you're not supposed to miss all of them? I thought that was the objective, to see if you can keep them up there the whole game. <laughs> it's like the low score, golf yeah. style. Yep, golf style. All right, you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Absolutely. All right, Max, I think we've all heard a little bit of this coming from from some growers looking to push the boundaries, but I know you recently had a conversation about this. So, what's what do you got for us on three hundred bushel corn today? Yeah, so I I think I'm not saying two hundred bushel corn or two hundred fifty bushel corn is just this happens every day, right? Um, you know, 
It's not like this is just an automatic, but I think the goalpost has been pushed a little bit, and I think 300 is now the new number that we're chasing a lot of the time. Why um, does it go in 100 increments almost? Out? Like, I guess you do hear 250 it's sometimes. It's the shock factor, I think. But you never, you never hear, like, I'm shooting for 275. You don't want to make your goal too easy to hit. True, true. Well, and on a... I think if your farm average is very close to 200, like if you're a farm average right at 200, right, you're you see 275 right. all you the got time. Oh, yeah. Field yeah, there's going to be spots in the field. And we're yeah. getting... Right, so your monitor's tickling at I, all times. I would say that's yield monitors are one thing that sort of effed up that goal so much because I don't think farmers realize like spots in the field hit, you know, 300 Sure, plus. as high as they were. Right. Yep. So then all of a sudden that changes your... Just your mindset of like, well, right. if that spot hit it, your two, the whole field should be able to hit it. Like, your 200 averages because there's 75 bushel corn yeah. in your field and 300 bushel yeah. corn in your field. Well, and those monitors, I hear all the time about how good guys are at calibrating them. And I, we calibrate, we calibrate, we calibrate it. And when the weight slips come through and you actually do it, you're still off somehow. Well, and let's be real too. Those monitors, those peaks aren't always real. No. no. Nor are the valleys always real. I mean, you can hit a wet spot in the field and push over it, 300. I mean, that's. That's great, but now that all that corn right there was twenty four, yeah, percent, or, yeah. where the rest of the field was twenty, and yeah, yeah. that's great to hit three hundred. But well, and are you hitting three hundred at fifteen percent moisture? Or are you hitting three hundred at thirty percent moisture? Right, right. So anyway, so anyway, the, to me, the new goal or the new number I keep hearing is we want to push to that three hundred mark. Right, we want to be able to consistently and not the whole farm at three hundred, but if we can get ten percent. 20% of the farm at 300 like that's kind of seems to be what I'm hearing now you guys agree disagree but that's kind of the number that keeps coming up that 300 number just keeps uh rearing its ugly head so and I would say our our rule of thumb or something to really think about when you're pushing these yields isn't to try to do this on the whole farm like I when guys come to me like oh I want to hit this and I'm like okay you know on what field or what no like the whole farm it's like well that's profitability should be your goal on the whole farm. Well, Number one, profitability on the whole farm. Now, yield, and I think the corn growers thing has really sort of helped this but also made it worse, is like that's a yield competition on a 20-acre piece in a field that, you know, they there's rules on how you harvest it and stuff, yep. but, like, that's the goal there is to hit high bushels on, on an area and see what you can do and see where the limits are for your farm, see where... You know, the idea of that, too, would it be to help profitability. So you would see, okay, if I do these three things, my my bushels go up, and which two of them really helped a lot, well, I'm going to do those two things on the, my whole farm the next year or something like that. Like, the goal really should be to learn well, what your farm can do and how to, how you possibly could do it. We're in the infantile stages of getting that 300 number, so you're not going to be able to be profitable across your whole farm right now at 300. But in ten years, is three hundred the new like? Okay, I, yeah, we do that, and then well, we're pretty close to ten years behind Iowa. I would say their goal ten years ago was probably three hundred bushel corn. Because I talked to a guy actually at that time who was from that area and moved up here, and he's like, "Yeah, what are you guys trying to get around here?" I said, "Yeah, two hundred is probably like the target." And he's all, "Yeah, like Iowa down there, they're already shooting for three. Sure. So I mean, it 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 goes, I think, through. Through stages of planning, well, and, and your climate's going to make a difference. It is very regional. And, like, what did Dave Hula hit this year in, in the corn growers? It was, like, it was high. I was say, I so remember it, last year it was, like, 600-something. No, it wasn't or, that high. But it was, it was yeah. Um, you, you can hit those numbers. But at the end of the day, profitability is what's really going to matter, right? You, 
if you, the bank comes to collect their check and you say, well, I don't have your money, but I hit 300, they don't really care, right? So we still got to be profitable at 300. So I guess today... Well, we'll, yeah, it was in 19, Hula hit 616. Yeah, I remember 600, yeah. Yep. Th- this year they weren't quite there or anything, but like... so And that's still He's in Charles City, Virginia, so there's just different... Areas that are going to be different too. So last year was four seventy six in Michigan. (laughs) That was the one that was in Charlotte. Yeah. Yep. Charlotte, Michigan. Yeah. I don't know. Did they announce this year's winner yet or not? They they are out now. Yeah, but looks like the fifteenth six oh two in Virginia. It said just a second ago. Yeah, it's fourteen bushels short of the record six sixteen set by Hula in twenty nineteen. So. Yeah, 602 by a farmer in Virginia. Let's see what his name is. Maybe uh, go away, pop up. So anyway, I kind of... Oh, it was got that name. Hula again. So Hula won this year. It was yeah. just, he was He's, shy of his record. Yep. So I had a really good conversation this week with a grower about how we're going to achieve this. And we talked about uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine... 10 different things in one conversation about what we can do to try and achieve this number and remain profitable and all that stuff. So, and I think 10 is just scratching the surface. Um, and I, I just wanted to cover all these 10 things and just say, Hey, here's kind of the bullet points, why this could work, why it might not work. And, and you need to try it on your own on small acres and see if it works. So number one, I hear this one all the time. Micro packs, micro nutrients, micro foliar feeds, all that stuff, right? Um, we've we've seen these around for a few years, a little while now. I mean, they're not brand new to the marketplace. I'd say yield yield response isn't super consistent, right? We it comes and goes. It's not like putting nitrogen on and it automatically does something. Um, I definitely would say that the the more measurable effects are in areas that are already micro nutrient deficient. So I don't know that that really I don't know that that's really the way to get to 300 by, oh, we have this area that's really bad and we put it on. Well, now you're just getting back to average, right? So, Well, it's something where we're not, at least from a soil test perspective, we're not always looking at, at micros, correct. especially not like sample by sample. You might do a, a test on a field yeah. level scale, but you're not doing site sampling because it costs more. I mean, it's, it's more money out of your pocket to try to get more exact numbers. So you can use tissue sampling to try and help you pinpoint where these would be most effective. It's hard because I feel like once it shows up in the tissue sample, you're not going to hit 300 bushels. Yeah. So it's more of a... We'll get, we'll get to that point here yeah. in, a, in a minute too with not one of these other things. But yeah, once you find it in a tissue sample, you're probably behind the eight ball. But put that in your notes for the next right. time you have corn there because it's probably not a one-year... That's deal. why you just got a tissue sample every week, Todd. Yeah. And that too doesn't again costs. Well, and the other hard part is it's hard to get some of these in the plant sometimes. Like yeah. the tissue sample might show up, but it might be an environmental thing that like right. It's not it something might, you just foliar feed. It's, and yeah. it's going to go in there, and you're going to get it. So, so the next one, uh, biological products. Right, these are new. These are hot new thing. Right, these yep. infero treatments and things like that. Um, I don't have a ton of answers on this right now, just because it's new. We haven't seen it on field scale a whole lot. Well, yeah, and it. I mean. From a biological perspective, we still don't know a lot about biology in the soil. So you're trying to add things you know can be a positive, but I, I would say on it's that not one, necessarily. This goes back to an older podcast, but 
know your mode of action. I had a farm, we tried three of these this year, and he had it side-by-side, and the one he'd been using the previous year that worked, this year now on the side-by-side actually showed it was Tanked. worse. Sure. And the more we read what the mode of action was, it was like, well, yeah, that one's kind of eating away the organic matter to try to feed it, and this other one's sort of adding a, a biological component. So just read read that and kind of make sure you know that's going to be beneficial to your soil. Well, and I, I've seen there's products, you know, the biologicals, like you said, Max, that are like infero or, or treatments. And then there's also like these residue, residue breakdown yep. yeah. ones too. And, it, you know, we've talked about soil health and everything. Like if you have a really healthy soil, the, one of the things that tells you you have a healthy soil is it breaks down residue quicker. Well, mm-hmm. if you're then adding something to break it down, now you might be releasing nutrients when you don't want them released, when yep. you're not growing anything. So you got to watch that too, to make sure you know what the purpose of the product is and what, how your soil behaves. All right, next up, we, more nitrogen. Now, obviously, we could say more, more N, P, or K, but the, the, the go-to is, hey, should we put some more nitrogen on that? You know, we only we got 160 units. Let's go to 200 units. Let's go to 210 units. Go, you know, um, eventually, that, that nitrogen loses, I, I guess, the ratio comes down, and you just start buying yield. You're going one for one. For every dollar you put in, you're getting one bushel back, and it, it's not exactly that, but eventually, you're no longer gaining. You're just sustaining, I think, at that point. Yeah, and I mean, the availability of your nitrogen makes a big difference too. How you're how you're putting the nitrogen out there. I think that goes to your next one, Max, is a bigger one. So, yep. so one more thing about nitrogen, then we'll move on to the next one because they do kind of go. That's why I put them next to each other. They go kind of hand in hand here. Um, nitrogen is going to be one of the easiest management practices to see the effects immediately, right? You put nitrogen on, and that corn snaps right away. Now, I'm not. That's not necessarily the, the more one, yield, right? But you you may see more green, more vegetative. That doesn't always mean it's going to go more green. But, but so explain, make cover crops show up in a day. You know, make make a biological product show oh, up in a day. Yeah, make, as far as visuals go, oh, yeah. yeah look, it, visually, look, it's going to make you feel really good about yes, yourself. That's yes. the point I'm getting across. Yeah. Visually, it's going to make you feel really good about yourself. Not that Pr- practically that may not. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't necessarily translate. So next one here, application timings, right? We've heard for a while now that spoon feeding corn is the best way. Like the more passes you can get and spreading out your nitrogen is is better for the corn. Um, that's that's what that's the best results you can get on nitrogen application or all applications really. Um, the one thing is is that those bin buster yields at three hundred plus that crop can't struggle at all you can't have a week or two weeks where it struggles it has to be perfect all the time um you start giving up those days and you you start giving up yield and you don't think about it right in june we don't think about oh we could be losing yield right now because the plant's six inches tall and whatever but you are so just remember that with your application timings that don't let your corn struggle but also there's a point where you can't be getting out there every you can't go out there every day and spread five pounds of urea and hope that it well and your your dry fertilizer, you run into issues spreading it if you're using urea because your corn gets taller. You can't, you're going to run down more corn now. You're doing that trade off of losing yield to gaining yield on how well you can navigate through the field. You know, irrigation is really the best way to spoon field, feed a crop because you can fertigate, you can run that 28% or 32% through the pivot and get it on there without having to damage your crop. So there's trade-offs when it comes to 
being able to spoon feed your crop, but the more you can, the less likely you're going to lose it. So. Yep. Um, next one, cover crops and soil health. So we've talked about these things at length on this podcast, but obviously the responses usually aren't immediate on that. When, when, are we, when we see the benefits, it's usually not right away, right? It's not an instant gratification thing. Um, and they're sometimes they're not all that consistent, right? You, you might feel really good about, hey, we had an awesome seed bed this year thanks to our cover crops, but then we were a little short on water as we got into the early parts of the season because our cover crop sucked a little too much. And that's, that's kind of the give and take with that. I do think that long-term, obviously, better soil health is going to lead to higher yields at some point, right? But that's, is that a two-year thing? Is that a five-year thing? Is it a 10-year thing? It's kind of a gray area right now. So, uh, but definitely, I mean, we're always looking long-term, right? Like, yeah, we got to worry about the next growing season, but we got to worry about five growing seasons from now because we could be paying for what we do now then. Even what you're growing as a cover crop is something that we're still working out as, you know, is it just rye or is it multi-species or where? I, I would say for this, where your high high yield goal is, is rye would be in not the right answer. Almost right, because it's sure. going to suck a lot of nitrogen. You're going to want yep. something that promotes that next crop even more. So I think we're coming up with more mixes. Um, I've seen some seed books now that even show, like, this cover crop is really good at next year's corn yield and, yep. and that kind of thing. And the more we get that focused on, so maybe coming out of a wheat field, you plant that cover crop, go into your, try to get your something, big Something corn. that is a nitrogen builder right. in the soil. Yeah, right. Yep, like a legume. Even, even that with the biological side is, we just talked about those infer biologicals, but if you could get your cover crop to add the right biologicals and at scale in that soil layer, that would be enough. Whereas some of these inferos, you might be peeing in the ocean. It's just such yep. a little amount to what you're gaining where a cover crop could actually get you enough mass there to help. All right, so next up we're going to go manure. Okay, uh, I, I think everybody knows this. Manure is, uh, I think it's unbeatable as far as putting on nutrient. I, I, I struggle to find a, a way to beat it in, in the fact that you got it for free, right? Basically, if you have a dairy, right, your manure is just there. That's the byproduct of having a dairy. Number two, it covers micro and macronutrients all in one pro- in one product, right? You're not buying and blending and this, and we can't get enough pounds out and all that stuff. It's all together, right? It's all one thing. And then there's even things in manure that we can't account for, like the organic matter in manure. We don't know how to quantify that as far as benefit to a plant. Um, but there's definitely such a thing as too much, right? We can we could pack manure on a little too heavy and things stay wet for too long, or we. We put a, a layer of bed pack down, and it's too heavy, and the corn can't grow through it, or we have poor germinate. Sand. Yeah, sand. Exactly. I think, I think we've all seen what sand can do when you, you lay, because it's so low nutrient, how easy it is to lay it too heavy and, and cause issues later. So so there can be too much of a good thing, right? Um, but manure can change. Manure adds things that you don't get. You know, if, if we're running a corn bean rotation and we're putting on, AMS, potash, urea, and DAP, right? That's four good products. There's lots of things there, right? We're covering lots of bases. You go and do the equal amounts of of manure to get those numbers, and then you still get all these other micros in there that just kind of do a thing that is hard to quantify. I mean, we can all pay for slow-release nitrogen, but manure is, is that. It's got stuff that's available immediately, and then there's stuff that takes time to break down, mineralize. So you're getting 
getting a prolonged benefit too. You're, it's not as easy to lose that manure as it is to lose your granular fertilizers. Correct. So um, next thing, varieties, right? I mean, every seed company has their bin buster variety that's going to be the greatest corn ever, right? Um, but there's good there's good varieties everywhere. I mean, there's no there's no companies that just don't have anything anymore, right? Everybody's got something that can that can push, right? Um, the difference between good varieties and good fits, I think, is the most important thing to watch when you start talking about varieties to hit high yields, right? You the you know you can have a decal variety that's awesome and it it it's a great yielder, but eh, it doesn't really like no-till. Well, putting it on a no-till acre now you you lost that that oh it's a high end yielder where pioneer has one that yeah it's a pretty good yielder but it's really good on no till well there you go that's a better fit and you're going to be able to chase that that yield a little bit easier so yeah you can't just expect to put whatever corn you want on any any acre and it's going to be 300 bushel okay. you got to plan it a corn that wins the plot in the central sands probably isn't going to win the plot in northeast wisconsin right i mean that's should be common sense, but I don't think it always is because we see these big numbers in a plot, and it's like, oh, I want we're 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 doing that one because that one won, and that's not. I think sometimes you got to slow down a little bit and think about the way it fits on your acres a little bit more. Um, this one was big this year, fungicide, right? We I I feel that a lot of questions this summer when corn was corn was high. I mean, we were talking about protecting a big investment or protecting a big I don't know big investment, a big payout. I guess we were trying to protect. Um, there's tons of choices on, on fungicide, right? We can, we can sit here and name off choices for days. We did, you applied what's on this. I mean, it's, there's lots of different ways to go. Um, timing is going to be a huge thing here. I mean, if we miss the boat, you just spraying water at that point. So keep that in mind. Um, and I don't look at this, this isn't like, uh, this isn't going to take 150 bushel corn to 200, but it might take 275 to 300 does that make sense it, it's not a yield booster it's a yield protector right i i would say what you said doesn't make sense I no would it say doesn't it doesn't gonna, but it's gonna hold if you got 300 bushel yield potential out there this might hold it so instead of hitting 250 you might be able to hit 300 because it because of a disease coming in so i, I would agree with what you're saying max it, Years ago, there was some shown that it does have a little bit to do with the physiology in the plant, and it can maybe handle through drought stress a little better because of some of the things, but we haven't always seen that. It's it's more of like you're protecting that yield potential, which a lot of our, our chem inputs are really what those do. They're yield protectors. They're not yield gainers. And this one, I think we've gotten to a point where um, companies, going back into varieties a little bit, they do kind of rate response to fungicides. That's something to watch too. If you're picking a variety, it has high yield potential, but it, and it responds to fungicide, then it's an easier decision than if it doesn't. I mean, you still have that insurance possibility, but you know it needs it sometimes if they say it, it gives, gives a really good response. The, the thing about fungicide, and Todd, you kind of alluded to this, is that overall plant health goes up with a fungicide, right? Right. So a healthier plant should, in theory, be able to yield more or yield more consistently, I guess. So, yeah, but, I think. But if the plant was already healthy because it didn't get all that stuff, right, you're not going to have gonna right. So, so you're it is a gamble. It's, it's a it's a varietal thing. Most of the time, when you're pushing for these big yields, you're using a very offensive variety that pushes big yields, which then obviously it doesn't have the defensive package Correct. to hold that. So yep. 
I would say on a corn grower's plot, you're, you're going to do fungicide, and then you have to weigh on the rest of your farm whether it's sort of profitable to use it on which acres, which varieties. And there's multiple timings that you can put on fungicide too. So watching that, we know that tassel still seems to be, at least as far as UW and other research, kind of one of the primary timings to put it. But some guys will do multiple applications, yep. you know, protected at V8 and again at, at tassel. So, you, you know, watching that management too is something you can do. Don't just put it up front necessarily and think you're good for the season. There's there's more that goes into it. So Yep. And then our last our last uh, management practice here that we're going to talk about is irrigation. So I hear all the time, oh, yeah, that doesn't count. They're irrigated. That's different. Well, irrigation doesn't just make 300 bushel corn, right? I mean, it's, it's a, that's an art, Todd, I would say. Well, what I would say is just that if you get timely rains, irrigation doesn't matter. It's, it's a yield protector as well, yep. that it's going to protect you through a drought. And, and even that, that it's, it's what it does. It, it, it doesn't make corn grow. It keeps it from dying. C- correct. Right. At that point, yeah, it's, you're just keeping it alive. Ask anybody that irrigates, they'll tell you they would take rainwater over irrigation water all the time. And it's just to, like you said, it's just to kind of hold it through a dry spell. And irrigation isn't just, oh, turn it on, turn it off. It's been dry for three days, turn it on, right? There's more to it than that, right? You can talk about working in the fertigation side, but even just knowing like, hey, you know what? It doesn't pay to have our irrigation on at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like it just doesn't. And sometimes actually irrigation can hurt yields in that you want those roots to drive deeper and get to, you know, more nutrients in the soil. And if you're irrigating too much, it it won't drive deep. So there, there is a, what you said, there's an art to it. I I thought last year, you know, I saw a grower and he, really wanted to use his irrigation, and I think we irrigated to the point where we had a little disease coming in because we were so yeah, wet created all the such time. such a moist environment, yeah. We created, we created a rainforest in our bean field, and it eventually led to a little bit of disease. And I, you know, it, it was dry outside, you know, but you got inside that bean field, and it was, it was wet. So um, it does, you know, irrigation isn't just a, oh, I'll flip the switch, and then I'll come back to it in a couple hours, right? There's, there's some science to it. There's some, some things that have to be figured out. Well, and it, and even just timing, it's not like you just get it done in an hour. It takes a long time for that pivot to move through the field, depending on size of field and everything. Well, and if you want to put down like a quarter inch of rain, I mean, that thing takes, that's forever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's a ton. So yeah, it's not a, it's not a simple thing. So I, I guess at the end of this conversation, what we want to try and get across is that there's lots of ways to try and achieve that higher yield. Um, and, and they're all dependent on individual operations. So what might work for your neighbor doesn't necessarily work for you. Um, I would say, and I think you guys would agree here that listening to this podcast, taking one of these options and putting it across your whole farm is probably not the way to do it. We probably want to try some things, maybe try two different things on some small acres next year and just kind of go from there and see if, see if you can measure yield, see if you can find, find a difference, right? Definitely don't take all of them uh, because then you'll never know what's working and what's not. And then you're stuck doing all of them. The, right. ki- the kitchen sink plots are always the worst where they like or throw the kitchen sink at it. And some universities do a good job of, say, there's 10 things in the kitchen sink. They throw it, then they pair back every 10. But it's so much replications and so much different things that those studies are really hard to find, you know, what what actually was the best that ought to work, you know, worked on that that scenario. So... I would say, too, is you hear when salesmen are out like, oh, yeah, if you put this micro pack on, you'll get five bushel. 
yeah, if you put this inferno in, you get five bushel. If you put this in, you'll get 10 bushel. And you start adding those numbers up, and you say, oh, yeah, if I'm at 250 now, that'll put me at 350. I just got to do that. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of diminishing returns, and that doesn't work. So I, I would agree with you guys 100% is if you try stuff, but yet you don't do it correctly and know, you know, what you took out, you aren't going to learn anything from it. If you throw the kitchen sink at it, well, you're going to know all those things could work, but you don't know which one was the best well, out of those things. And, and a five bushel, a five five bushel yield bump on a product that's thirty two dollars an acre, you're not making any money. Right, you're losing money you're, now. You're, yep, I'm you're, really glad that you got that five bushel, but you lost money on the farm. That, uh, you lost money on that acre this year because it costed us more money, more money than what we got. Yeah. So keep keep that p word in 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 front of everything else. Profitability. Yep, always run the numbers. All right, moving to our spotlight for today. So USDA has awarded $5.2 billion for rural broadband water and power. So the rural infrastructure projects across the country will receive a combined $5.2 billion in federal grants and loans to expand high-speed internet, electricity, and clean water, according to Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack on Thursday. Money will go to 359 projects in 46 states and Puerto Rico through seven USDA rural development programs. So we're trying to build up that availability to access internet as well as water and power. Did it say how much it was? How much was water and power? Yeah, versus? like it seems odd. I guess some of this at the bottom, it says... Yeah, the $86 like, million to... Coweta Lafayette EMC to build and improve 602 miles of electrical power lines in Georgia, uh, 2.6 million to a telephone company in Alaska. So you know they're it's it's to specific areas or right. Really it's spread see. out, and so it's I don't think it's necessarily getting new electricity to people who don't have electricity. Right. I think it's, it's just, more improving infrastructure to more efficiently provide power. As we know, California and other states go through the brownouts and blackouts, and um, we're fortunate here in the Midwest. We don't typically see that as much. We get storm power loss most often. Like last week. Yep, when you have damage. But um, there are places that the grid just isn't stable enough to provide consistent, reliable electricity, and that's, I think, what they're targeting with that. And water, we know Flint, Michigan, we've all... Heard that yeah. over the last few years, you know, there's places that, that need help improving their, their fresh water. So now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. As the holiday season is upon us and Christmas being in the next couple of days here, the Christmas tree is a decorated tree, usually an evergreen conifer, such as fir, spruce, or pine, or some people do artificial trees of similar appearance, associated with the celebration of Christmas, which originates in Germany, which, uh, which was associated with St. Boniface. The custom was developed in medieval Livonia, which is present-day Estonia and Latvia in Eastern Europe, and in early modern Germany where German Protestant Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. It acquired popularity beyond the Lutheran areas of Germany and the Baltic governance, during the second half of the 19th century, at first among the upper classes and then trickling down to everybody, the tree was traditionally decorated with roses made of colored paper, apples, wafers, tinsels, sweetmeats, 
Moravian Christians began to illuminate Christmas trees with candles, which were often replaced by Christmas lights after the advent of electrification. Today, there is a wide variety of traditional and modern ornaments, such as garlands, baubles, tinsel, and candy canes. So, do you guys have real Christmas trees in your houses? I do. I do. It's yeah, almost right. decorated, too. Nice. <laughs> uh, I was actually talking to one of my wife's friends the other day, and their family tradition uh, when our parents were younger was you didn't see a Christmas tree till Christmas. And Santa decorated it. So oh, yeah. you'd put up the tree on Christmas Eve well, that's and it'd be neat. decorated the next day. Whereas now we have people that run as soon as Thanksgiving, like, oop, I got to get a tree the next day. Yeah, we're like Black Friday Christmas tree. Yeah. I have a friend who puts up her Christmas tree on the first day of school. So the first day of school? School, like September. Yeah. Does it die with it? Like, how well, she has, she has like nine trees in her house. She oh. just keeps Arti- Oh, like they're fake. I think they're all artificial. Yeah, I would say. Okay. Well, what's interesting is I read an article just the other day. Um, and I know I saw something about on Shark Tank, actually, a company like this, but there's companies where you take live trees in pots, yep. put them up, and then they go back and they replant them. And then once they hit a certain height, then they get permanently planted. But so it's renting instead of buying a tree. And I know, like your dad, Todd uses trees as bird habitat in the winter. Yeah, he'll go, like, he'll reuse them. A bunch of trees and yep. put them in an area and then. They're good bird habitat. So there are multiple ways to use the Christmas tree or to have a Christmas tree in your house. But I'm I'm a simple, simple white lights guy. Don't need anything too fancy. That colored lights stuff, get that out of here. <laughs> Doesn't belong here. White lights. And I don't even I don't even the decorations, I'm not even you don't even need to put those on. Just a tree with lights is good enough for me. I don't know. I like the colored lights. It's pretty it's not in your face, like you can't well, see the whole tree because the bright white lights. And I'm so, I, sh- I shouldn't say white lights. I'm yellow lights, like the soft white sure. lights, the real like it almost looks like candlelight. I'm that. That's what I like. Real simple, elegant. I don't the new like white LEDs. Those are too much for me. They hurt my brain. Yeah, it's like watching headlight or looking at trees, like staring into somebody's headlights. Like, uh. yeah, I, n- I never got like the artificial white trees. Like I, those are always. T- I never. Yeah. No, my mother-in-law had a like a silver oh, yeah, Christmas flock, tree where, flock flock over, yeah. where the whole thing's like tinsel, and you're just like, yeah. Ugh. Oh, tinsel, Ugh. the worst. That stuff. I don't know. I guess you can still find it, but I remember when I was, we were a kid, we used to do tinsel, but nobody in my family, I think, does it anymore. Tinsel and glitter just makes such a mess. Two of the worst things in the world. Our rule of thumb is you got to be able to like squint your eyes and still see the tree shape with the lights on it. Then you know you got like it's got to have in the thousands of lights. And you, you guys do? Do you guys have uh, ornament sets, or do you guys do like our like now our kids' ornaments fill the whole tree? So yeah, that's the way much... we never had an or, we never had like a ornament set in my entire life. Uh, my son picked out our Christmas tree this year. I was uh, told last year that it was too prickly the tree that I picked out, so he picked a white pine <laughs> tree, which is very soft. So only buckets, that's soft. Only our German glass and real light ornaments could go on. We have some heavy ornaments that would not go on this tree sure. this year. So, yeah. No, my mom, like my mom and dad, like they at this point, I think only about half the ornaments make it on the tree every year because it just there's so. I mean, well, over a lifetime, you accumulate just so many. You get, and I got two or three ornaments every Christmas from aunts and uncles and grandmas and whatever. Like, yeah, we and, buy our kids an ornament every year. They make them at school every year, so. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, you start thinking about adding up, like you know, somebody's got a whole litter of kids. I mean, one school year, you got you got the whole tree covered. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, all the listeners out there. We 
Appreciate you listening. All we ask is you tell a farmer friend about the podcast. Tell him to subscribe, and he might ask you, where can I find the podcast? He needs to search Tilt Talk Radio in Apple Podcasts on his iPhone or an Android. Download Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM on his Android phone, and there he can find Tilt Talk Radio. You can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tiltegg.com slash podcasts. And Matt, where can they follow us? You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Now let's wrap things up with some current events. So we'll start with our cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. So this week's cool beans, BASF, steps in with a 30000 donation to help tornado recovery efforts. So as you may or may not have seen, I'm sure you all saw, there was a pretty heavy... Tornado presence in Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, with a lot of damage and everything in that area. So it's good to see agricultural companies stepping in and helping donate to those disaster relief efforts. Not not too often that you have to worry about a November, December tornado window. but yeah, we, we had tornado warnings in Wisconsin yep. when this was going on. I yep. mean, that was insane. Western Wisconsin, yeah. That was crazy. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, and it looks like the money went to Kentucky FFA Foundation and Feeding Kentucky and Arkansas Food Bank. So I think they're trying a lot to help people, especially obviously through the holidays here with food and you know, well, other yeah, things. There's a lot of people that were displaced. Their homes were completely wiped out and it takes time and, to rebuild. So. Well, and even, yeah, think of the rebuilding effort. It's like right now in a non-area that hit by a storm, it's hard to get somebody to build or fix or do anything. Yep. Can't think even of imagine. like that. Like you just, there's no, the infrastructure's not set up to rebuild that quickly. So it's going to take, take a decade. Yep. All right. Now that's corny this week. EPA issues report indicating more restrictions may be warranted on dicamba use. Here we go again. So we've talked about dicamba in the past weeks. Uh, they've started to find water hemp that's been resistant to dicamba, and now there'll be increased potential restrictions on dicamba use. So more and more, it just seems it's going to be harder and harder to, to put that into your chemical program, um, especially with soybeans, to rely on that probably isn't the best idea so it's good to be thinking about other options whether it's enlist or rotating residuals or whatever your your program requires to take care of any weed issues you have out in the field so i don't think this report is all that much of a surprise i mean we talked in the last couple of weeks about how minnesota was moving their cutoff date uh up to our june 15th rather than july 1st so i guess i guess we can all just expect a couple more Couple more regulatory changes on this, and I just hope they don't take this tool completely away from us. That I, way, is it still nice to sort of have a even even if it's a backup tool? I don't know. Just at this point, I don't. I don't see us having this. If a whole we lot go longer. all towards the liberty and the enlist, we're just gonna. It's just gonna screw those up quicker. <laughs> right. We so, need to be able to rotate through. I, right. And, yeah. So having more options is. Is always Multiple good. modes of action. But, but I would agree if there's problems, especially in certain states, they're going to have to change your well, We could just get people to follow directions. That would be the first thing. Because I know when, yeah, you a lot read, of it. when you read these reports of what went on, it's people who didn't follow directions. It's people who broke the rules. Yeah. Can't tell me what to do. Like, it, there's very specific rules to Dicamba, and some people really don't want to follow them. 
Yeah, according to the article here, uh, 3,500 reports indicating more than 1 million acres of non-dicamma tolerant soybeans were damaged. That, that's only soybean damage. That's that only soybeans, right? The, the tree farm. Rice. The, yeah, uh, who yeah. knows, whatever the heck Any else. Any other veg hit. crops, really? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So just follow the rules. Please. Please. I, you don't hear a whole lot of... A lot of these are not like accidental, uncontrollables. A lot of these are guys who made a choice that was the wrong one, and they knew it when and, they did. And I it. would say in Wisconsin, in general, so far it's been yeah. We, it's, given our crops and stuff, we we were used to using it for one, right? And we don't have a a lot of. We have some of the more, you know. I still remember the BASF rep telling us when Ingenia came out how much more dicamba we used up here than they did down in Nebraska, Arkansas, that kind of stuff. So we're ahead of the curve on as far as understanding how it works and how to use it correctly. But still, I I don't... They make... The label's pretty easy to read. I mean, it's not super confusing, so I don't understand. And we have pockets of susceptible crops here, but not as much as some of those other areas where you're going to have beans and cotton right Right. next to each other. Or, I mean, we have beans and beans next to each other, but... I think we've got, we're starting to get to the point where a lot of people are just, if they're neighboring. Well, before too, it was a lot of dicamba beans next to dicamba beans, right. some of them were, and now it's in list next to dicamba. Dicamba, right. So it, it's got to stay in that field. So. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about 300 bushel corn and possibilities of how you can improve those yields just remember don't try everything at once in our spotlight we talked about money going towards rural internet and other infrastructure issues egg history minute we talked about the history of the christmas tree and we wrapped it all up with our cool beans which was a thirty thousand donation from basf to help tornado recovery and that's corny was the potential of more restrictions on dicamba use for 2022 So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.